Welcome to Arvid's Almanac, podcast hosted by queer, witchy settlers navigating decolonial healing through herbal medicine and myth, queerness and magic, astrology and ancestral connection. I'm Kenzie Kalik, she, her, a queer settler witch, intuitive herbalist, justice advocate, sex posse educator, pleasure activist living on occupied Abenaki land in Vermont. Hello, my name is Rue McDonald. I use they, them pronouns. I'm currently living on the territories of the Lekwungen-speaking people, also known as Victoria. I am a researcher. I'm an edgewalker, plant tender, dream journeyer, drone folk, songster, queer animist, witch, and environmental educator. And I'm Micah McDonald. They, he a clinical herbalist, ecologist, and writer living in Abenaki territory in Vermont. Welcome to the first episode of this podcast. To introduce you to who we are and why we've embarked together on this voyage, we're going to tell you a story, the story of Miak and Arvid. This story guides the learning we will do together here on this podcast. Rue is going to recite this ancient Irish myth for us, and after that, each of us, Kenzie, Rue, and myself, will discuss the story's personal impacts on our lives, how it inspires the work we do in the world, and how it highlights several topics we will dive into more deeply in future episodes. But first, one of the aims of this podcast is to inspire reconnection to nature and to the rhythm of the seasons. Um, so I'd like to share a little bit about the day we've chosen to release this podcast in bulk of 2021. In bulk is one of the four most important holidays of the Gaelic calendar or the cross quarter days. Um, and those are in bulk on February 1st, Bialtana on May 1st, Lunasa on August 1st, and Samhain on November 1st. And each of these marks the beginning of their respective seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And in bulk, uh, marking the beginning of spring, uh, the dawn of the year, the first birthing of the lambs, the first coming of milk, and a time to begin the spring's sowing. Uh, in Ireland, that is, not in Vermont, where we are, or me and Kenzie are, uh, since we have, you know, at least a foot of snow on the ground here. But in Ireland, that is very logical. And um, and at the same time, although it does seem like midwinter here, uh, something changes around February 1st every year. The birds sound a bit different. Uh, the squirrels get a little more frisky, do a, a few extra backflips just for fun. Uh, something definitely changes in the air, and, and those who are in tune with the land certainly notice this. Um, and in Irish, uh, the, it is called uh, La the Bridge, uh, which is also the day of St. Bridget. And she is an ancient Irish goddess, um, Bridge, and was then uh, adopted by Christianity to become uh, St. Bridget. Breach is one of the Tuatha Dé Danann and is associated with the spring, poetry, smithing, healing, fertility, and is protector of women, children, childbirth, and cattle. 
St. Brigid is still to this day one of the most popular saints in Ireland. Anyway, now Rue will introduce us to this story. So I just want to start off with a story. I started working with the story about two years ago when I acknowledged that it's inspired by an interpretation um, from the Kaliax Herbarium, the Kaliax Herbarium. And, and I just want igno- to uh, introduce you all to to my story stone, can't see, but it's this tag stone. And the way I've been taught by my friend Coco, who um, studies in storytelling and uh, with Shona Lee, who is a Drusillic um, holder of the Drusillic um, maternal oral tradition, a matrilineal oral tradition. Um, is that you have this grounding piece for ev- for a story, and it holds the bones of the story. Um, and so then from those bones, you add the flesh and tendons and bones. And so this has been part of my story process. And I just want to acknowledge that lineage um, before I begin. I want to acknowledge my story lineages, my Nana. Uh, is a storyteller and before her her dad is a storyteller and that lineage is from the Isle of Isla and the Isle of Skye and the Western Isles of Scotland. All right so I invite you to get comfortable maybe you want to close your eyes maybe you want to lie down but I invite you to direct some loving presence towards your body at this time in a way that feels right and good for you. Invite you to take some breaths into your deepness and come into presence in whichever way feels right. And let us begin. I invite you to follow me between the lines and off the page to a land of ancestral memory. Imagine now a pool of clear, cool water at the bottom of a well. And this well sits in the center of a battlefield. It's far, far back into time that is simultaneously now and whole time to a land that we know as the Isle of Erin, of Ireland. And in ancient times, it was ruled by the Firbolg, which are the people of the Bag, who were forced into slavery in Greece and carried with them bags of soil on their bodies, the soil of their ancestors, and who returned to their ancestral lands. This story, though, follows the path of two very special healers who are siblings, children of the great healer of the Tuatha de Danann, Dian Kecht, who is the descendant of Lu and the son to the Dagda, the great oak king and druid. Dian Kecht is the physician 
of the Tuaha de Danan and the healer to King Nuada. This is the story of Arvid and Miach. It is said to this day that the Tuaha de Danan still live. Some say they are the ancient ancestors of the Irish and Scottish peoples. Others say they are the fair folk or the good people or the she, named the wise people, living in and protecting, tending the plants and the non-human life. But in these ancient times, where this story begins, the Tuaha de Danan dwelled in the northern islands of the world, studying Dru Druidic arts, occult lore, and magic, favored by the mother goddess Danu, carriers of the four sacred items, the stone of Fal, Luz spear, sword of Nuada, Dagda's cauldron. Now, how the Tuaha de Danan came to possess all these treasures will have to be stories for other times. For now, I invite you to imagine a dark moon and a clear night filled with stars. The water unusually still and the wind cool and cutting. It was on a night such as this when the Tuaha de Danan ships lined the shore of the island, where behind them they cast their ships aflame as to not be tempted to flee. There was no going back. A thick cloak of smoke began to engulf the land where the great army advanced in obscurity. The army led by the Tuaha de Danan heroes and bards tracking each battle and event in poetic cadence and the healers tending the sacred well. The first battle of Magturak took place and the fur vogue were beaten back but not vanquished. The nation ceased the fighting to bring the wounded to the healers and observe their death rites building great cairns and mounds to, to honor the fallen heroes with grieving laments that praise their victories and curse their enemies. But this story follows a different path, the path of these two healers. Now Dian Kecht was the greatest healer in all the land. He brought his two children, Arved and Miach, to the sacred well that was centered in neutral territory where the wounded were brought from both sides. It was here that the siblings gathered bunches of herbs and they filled the waters until the water was thick and green, slushing as they stirred and they sang to the waters and asked the well's assistance in healing the warriors. And those healing herbs would tone and heal those bodies and upon re-emerging, they were healed. It was in the second battle of Magturuk where the Firbolg fell. The three sons of the Firbolg King Balor fought the three great heroes of the Tuaha de Danan. They each dealt nine blows, and it was in that battle that the king lost his hand. He was brought back behind the lines 
leaving his sons to secure their victory, which they did. But King Nuada was brought to the royal physician, the Ankecht, and with the help of the blacksmith, Kredna, he fashioned the king a silver hand that could move as well as any other hand. But it was tradition at the time that the king must be unflawed. So because the hand was not of bone, vein, flesh, and fat, Nuada was no longer allowed to be king. This was much to the dismay of the people for the power passed to his young nephew who was a cruel and exploitative tyrant and the land became barren. In this turbulent time of unrest and shifting power, it was the children of Diankecht, Niach, spirit surgery, a precise and exacting young man with a magical talents for healing the body with sharp metal and sinew and Arvid, the spirit of ancestral herbal medicine, who knows how to work with the plants and trees of embodied healing. Together, they went to Nuada with a plan they believed would work. They came before the king and offered their healing abilities saying, we can give you a hand of flesh and tendon and bone and sinew and fat. Nuada accepted and so Mioch and Ermid Arvid prepared herb-infused honey and fresh bandages and copper vessels of healing water from the sacred well. They made offerings to the spirits of the land and the plants that they helped the king for the good of the people and the land. So Mioch and Arvid planted a magic seed of a spell in Nuera's arm, chanting, bone to bone, vein to vein, balm to balm, sap to sap, skin to skin, tissue to tissue, blood to blood, flesh to flesh, sinew to sinew, marrow to marrow, pith to pith, fat to fat, membrane to membrane, fiber to fiber, moisture to moisture and the arm healed in nine days and nine nights. They wrapped it in sun-colored honey, herbs and bandages, and gently secured it to his side for three days when it began to grow skin. And the second three days, they gently secured it to his chest. And the last three days, they blessed it with white whist smoke of blackened bulrushes. And with the power rightly restored and the kingdom rejoicing, the land rejoicing, Arvid and Miach return home to find their father, Diankecht, whipped into a jealous rage at being surpassed, particularly by his son, and challenged Miach to a duel to test his healing abilities. Diankecht took his sword and struck. Miach's arm, which he was able to heal, and then struck his other arm, which he was also able to heal, and then struck his head, and even cut his brain, and Miach was able to heal this as well. It was miraculous. 
But then Diankacht's fourth blow was a death blow. And he cut out the brain, saying no physician could heal him from that blow. He buried his son in a clearing amongst the oak tree grove and said, though Mioch no longer lives, Arvid shall remain. Arvid didn't know where her brother was buried. Overcome by wild, chaotic grief, she cried out his name again and again as if by some miracle he'd answer. She wandered deep in the forest where even the moon could not reach her with her silvery fingers. Finally, she came upon the, the clearing, towered over by nine gnarled ancient oaks. And the air smelt of earth and death. She knelt by Mioch's grave and performed the death rites her grief pulsing in her chest. She could feel the steady strength of her ancestors. Arvid began to feel a wave rise in her chest like the swell of a mighty ocean and with it an unearthly wail erupted from her throat as she began to sing. Oh, no. she sang she wept and as she wept long and deep her tears welling in great dollops rolled down her cheeks spilling into the dry soil soaking in nourishing suddenly sparking life in the deep, dark depths of the soil. And her grief alchemized the nurturing of the seeds. And the seeds burst forth from the earth like tender surrenders, whispering sweetly their gifts. And out of each organ, tendon, bone, sinew, and muscle, of Mioch's body grew 365 plants. 
corresponding with all possible illnesses and ailments, collectively holding the complete knowledge of embodied healing. She came to know each one by spirit and magic. She learned to respect each of them, whisper her yearnings and bond and intention and shared destiny for healing. An abundance had opened up before her unlike any she had imagined. And beside her brother's cairn, she fell asleep. And as she slept, she was visited by each plant spirit who shared with her their dreaming. And early, early that morning, she awoke and fled back to the deep, thick forest. Shortly after, Diankert returned that morning to his son's camp to find it covered in every imaginable healing plant growing vivaciously, mapping all the plant knowledge of embodied healing. Angered and determined, Miach would not thwart his power. Even from the other world, he vowed Miach's last act of defiance against him would end here. And with that, he ripped up the plants in a flurry of roots and stalks and stems and petals, mixed and scattered them across the, the clearing. When Arvid returned to find the grave desecrated, she knew what had happened and feelings of betrayal, violation and anger coursed through her veins at the sight of the sacred garden, this wealth of healing knowledge destroyed. However, her ancestors urge her onward. She calms her spirit and begins to work. She unfurls her cloak and began to sort the plants by memory. Taking a small portion of each plant, she maps out Miach's body on her cloak. She then folds up her cloak and steals back into the night, traveling deeper into the forest to rest. It was there that she was welcomed in the realm of the she and lived out the rest of her days as the healer amongst the plant spirits growing in abundance in her great lush garden. Now the fate of the Fir Bolg and the Tuaha de Danan will have to be other stories for other times. For here ends the story of Arvid and Miach, the greatest healers of the Tuaha de Danan. Now, have you ever felt inexplicably called to a plant and connected? But somehow you just know your body needs it. Well, it's said that this is Arvid's doing. It is said that you can also lay out your cloak and make offerings and ask Arvid to help you to find the right medicine to cure your ailment. Arvid will walk out into her great garden and ask the plant, the medicine to share its dreaming with you. So that when you meet them in waking time, you will know it.
and it will know you. Beautiful. Excellent. <laughs> um, I just want to acknowledge also the lineage of that song that I shared. Um, it's an opening to a lament called Grief, written by Ethne Mihulhim, who's a, um, a folk artist. So beautiful. The more I hear the story, the more times that I hear the story, the more I feel that resonance in my body. So this story, this folklore story has brought up so much for each of us. And what we would like to share is a piece of how this story is relevant in our own lives and reflects why we are here in the first place. And um, what's beautiful is each of us have a culminating uh, experience to relate to this story that uh, carries our intentions moving forward with Arvid's Almanac, the podcast. Um, and I am open to begin if you two feel good about that. Great. Cool. So, um, oh my goodness. So juicy. There's so much to say about this story. So I will try to be succinct. Um, well, to begin, I absolutely love that this story is about healers and not only healers, but the children and how the children are um, the bringers of the answers and the truth and um, the miraculous work of magic. And so much what brings me here is um, I'm a new mother um, and to imagine my work as being in right relationship with my ancestors and being um, an Irish diaspora living in um, in current day America, it is um, really a new path for me. And it's interesting, 2021 being kind of the beginning for me in terms of being in right relationship with my Irish lineage. Um, I guess everything is always the beginning, but um, the beginning of this podcast is really part of my healing. A big piece of my work, um, I am a Scorpio rising, which means that everything is so deep and juicy and intense. <laughs> like, Oh, it's like the deepest moments of the ocean, you know, you're just, you dive in and, and grief is a big part of that healing process for me. And so I feel, um, really blessed for this, um, this, the ritual that comes with grieving and the process, um, being so important. And also how pain is such a big portion of grief. And I think a lot of our culture, especially with death, connects with the pain. And a lot of my work is incorporating the pleasure and tasting the joy that comes out of the process of being able to have the right to the process of grief. Um, naming also that 2021 in Ireland the um, mother and baby homes, the, the report just came out a few 
maybe a, a week or two ago about um, really the depth of how many children, babies um, died in these homes in Ireland and that there was no right or grief process for these children um, or the mothers of these children or the families of these children. And um, being a part of the weeping and the process for me is these stories, right? Like this is a big part of the process of healing and that we can be a part of. Um, I also identify as an herbalist, an intuitive herbalist. And um, so many of the plants that are named um, and unnamed come up for me. And um, being in actually the beginning of my healing process with herbs and um, my lineage is with the ancestors. So I've had a lot of resistance actually working with my ancestors in certain ways because of our, my own lineage of pain and suffering. And so the first step for me is flower essences and making plant medicine in a way that's, um, listening to the plants. And the first one for me being yarrow, I live in um, the um, Abenaki territory, which is current day Vermont. And yarrow is a wild plant that lives here. And it's also a plant that's all over Ireland. Um, And it's so beautiful to feel that connection of um, sitting and being in, in the presence of yarrow and working with yarrow and using it as a medicine and how that's part of my healing process. Um, I also deeply resonate with the process of spellcasting and that um, the process of utilizing spells and medicine with herbs is something that is so pertinent and useful and intentional that we need today. And that this story is so, um, so needed in this moment when we deny our intuition on a regular basis and how um, even the fact that Arvid finds her sibling just through intention and her, her intuition. So, um, yeah, I'm in call. I'm excited to call in my intentions through this story to bring me here today. Thank you. Um, Rue, would you mind going next? Absolutely. So as I said, I came into relationship with the story, um, around two years ago, but really start, the story started to work me um, about a year ago um, when I had pneumonia um, and started working with plants to heal like this flooding. Um, It's been, the story has been part of what I feel is like an initiation period um, that is included like being in two car accidents, um, mental health struggles, just these like culminating points where 
story has come in really strong as a balm and as a way of understanding my story in relationship to my ancestors. So I'm a white settler and I live on the territories of the Lekwungen speaking people. And I am a songster um, and I love to learn story, uh, stories and songs from my ancestral traditions. I have Scottish, Irish, Welsh, um, Norse and Swiss German heritage. And this story was one of one of two that really, really catalyzed my my story work practice. And what I mean by story work is something that um, I didn't really know of anybody else doing at the time. So it was quite an intuitive uh, exploration uh, where I've added to my animist practice working with story as, as a story being, as a spirit that I welcome onto my altar. And I welcome into my, into my dream space and do both like rigorous um, research as well as intuitive um, exploration and guiding um, so that I feel like what I'm creating how the way that I'm weaving a story, I really need, want it to feel grounded. I want it to feel informed, but also acknowledge the reality that culture is alive and I am living culture. And so the stories that I weave will be part of me, my story that I'm sharing. And so this story brought me deeper into relationship with my calling to tend death transitions, um, brought me to wanting to have more knowledge and embodied knowledge of how to move grief, metabolize grief through my body to relate to death in a culturally grounded way. Um, and led me to find out that my Nana uh, remembers attending wakes. That wake tending is a practice that um, was brought with my ancestors to a stolen indigenous land. And so part of my practice is, is living in the tensions of being a, a settler implicated in erasure, disenfranchisement and violence against indigenous peoples. And those stories being part of the knowledge systems that brought, the, brought my ancestors here. Um, while also uh, not being able to claim nativeness to Ireland or Scotland or these lands, I'm just sitting in those tensions of understanding where I'm implicated and where my responsibilities lie, my ethical um, and 
political and spiritual commitments, um, wanting those commitments to emerge out of something really grounded. And so story has been a way that I've navigated that. I remember once being asked like, where are your stories? Right? Where are your stories to know how to relate to the land, to relate to the plants, to relate to the water as well? This is one of them. <laughs> this is one of those stories for me that taught me about how to relate to the plants in a good way. That taught me how to relate to my grief in a good way, to give it, to, to give it respect, the respect and space and care and tending that it needs to move. And, and of course, now the story really does speak to how I want to move forward with this podcast and everything that I'm bringing to the podcast is coming here, um, trusting that what is being presenced is right and good and offering it with humility um, in right-sizedness. Um, and but everything that is coming here is coming here out of out of consent, a deep relationship, deep relationality. And and that this is part of why we're all here. This beautiful story is the, is the path of healers. We're here to uphold this path. Um, I feel and and to make a space where these stories can be heard and shared so that they can resource our communities who are tending cultural wellness. And that's all I'll say for now. Thanks, Rue. Yeah, I really resonate with a lot of what you just said. And um, I met this story um, several years ago. I was going through really... Um, <laughs> Uh, huge changes in my life and um, uh, use and and I during that transition I found that myth was uh, absolutely <laughs> fantastically healing and it, and it is, has now become one of my primary healing modalities actually I would say and so um, it has been so healing and transformative to me and then I uh, knew that I needed to explore my um, Irish heritage, and that was part of my process. And um, I discovered the podcast Story Archaeology with um, Isolde Carmody and Chris Thompson, and uh, their telling of the story of Mia Canarvid. Uh, I immediately found resonance with my life in a somewhat shocking way, as happens uh, when you learn about myths, because we are living the myths right now. All of us are living a myth, and it's great when you discover what myth that ends up being. <laughs> um, so that's one of my myths is, uh, there are others, but one of them is Mia Canarvid. So um, I've used that myth as a way to process my own uh, grief about my premature death or what I anticipated would be my premature death. Um, I have cystic fibrosis, so I've grown up knowing I was going to die young. And then, uh, so that's a resonant piece where Miak dies and 
his death is meaningful. His death is beautiful. It, it, um, his death was an important part of passing on the wisdom of the herbalists and the wisdom of the herbs onto future generations. Um, and that Arvid, his sister, does the work of carrying that on. Um, and I have a sister who's also an herbalist. It just helps me feel like whatever happens to me, the ultimate result is going to be beautiful um, and important. And that's why living myths is fantastic. So, um, and living through myths and having the myths live through you. And, um, you know, I'm also a pretty political person and I, there, first of all, there are many layers to this story and we, it would take, you know, at least four hours to talk about every layer, but I'm going to touch about like, I'm going to touch on just another layer. Um, and that one for me is, is somewhat political. And, um, the, you know, in this story, it is a somewhat small piece of a very large epic, which is the Kathmagatura is, you know, an entire book. And this is kind of in the center. And it seems to be kind of the wisdom teaching that is kind of hidden inside the middle of this giant battle story. And yet the healers of the, the heroes of the story are not warriors, they're healers. And to me that it says something about the healing of society in general. And, and I see, you know, our society, Western society and, um, yeah, Western society being so uh, damaging and so damaged and uh, pretty sick, and that it's not enough to just fight what we be- what we see is bad about our culture. We must also heal the wounds um, that that fight causes in us or causes other people, and you know, just fighting things perpetuates that that violence, although it's important to resist. It's important um, to resist violation. And yet there's something underneath it that not, that must be healed. And that's kind of what I'm trying. That's definitely part of my life work is to figure out what, what are those wounds at the center, at the very root of the Western mind and how can we heal those? Um, and I think rediscovering our myths is rediscovering, you know, helpful, beautiful healing myths is part of the journey. At least that's what I see. Um, and f- for the purpose of healing and 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 breaking the vicious cycle, which is that traumatized people can traumatize others when their wounds are not healed, and. Um, that is a, a huge Western pattern because in the West, um, basically nearly all of us have ancestors who were traumatized by Western violence um, and colonial violence. And um, when those wounds were not healed, we end up perpetuating that violence onto other peoples. And 
uh, you know, I, I want to be part of the process that stops that cycle from happening. Um, and that means I need to heal myself. And I use myths as part of my toolkit to do that. Um, and that the healer's journey, you know, what, what we talk a lot about uh, in, in mythology, the hero's journey that goes through kind of 12 steps in a cycle. And, um, you know, that's fine. But I think we need, you know, in the transformation of society into a, um, what we hope to be a decolonized society, the solar hero is not going to be the, the primary change maker. The healer is going to be the primary change maker. Um, and so the healer's journey is different. And the healer's journey, in my opinion, um, because I feel like I'm living it right now, centers around the study of suffering physical, psychological, and spiritual. And it often seems easier to study other people's suffering than our own, but it's critically important to address our own suffering because when we do, we can begin to study its universality, to depersonalize it. This contributes to the creation of compassion and we can transmute our suffering into wisdom and into medicine. We always have the choice to be a victim of our pain, to, to see it as unique and self-isolating, but we also have the choice of seeing it as an opportunity to create solidarity with others who also suffer. We can let it make us wiser, more compassionate, and help us empathize with those who feel similar or even dissimilar pain. But the healer's journey, just like the hero's journey, also involves an alchemical process of multiple stages of, of death and rebirth. And that means putting death to uh, false concepts of our ego, uh, false social constructs that are harming us and harming other people. Um, yeah, putting death to all sorts of delusions that we carry forward from our ancestors. And that's extremely difficult work. It is extremely painful, but we have to because um, when we are on the other side of those rebirths, it's so unbelievably liberating to know that we're not only healing ourselves, but we're not going to perpetuate the um, the wounds anymore. We're not going to pass those on to next generations, and we can now uh, use that transformation to do good today and in the future. So I think I'll, I'll pause there and let the other pieces flow as needed as they come up. So... As I was telling the story, um, I just wanted to presence that there is this element of discrimination against um, disability of um, the King, King Nuita who loses his hand and um, just wanted to presence that I that that's not the kind of world that I want to be um, or the kind of messages that I want to be perpetuating um, 
where leadership cannot be in the hands of people with disability that's like the opposite <laughs> of the kind of world that I want to be part of and co-cultivating. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that um, so that it has uh, space to space to be aired instead of silenced. Yeah, thanks for that, Rue. Um, that has definitely been a piece of this myth that ha has not resonated with me. Um, just that people who are wounded can't lead. Um, and that's just an old idea. You know, it's, it's not an, an idea we need to perpetuate anymore, like you said. Um, in, but in fact, there is uh, perhaps some unconscious way that we continue to do that in, um, in this culture in that, uh, you know, my, my first uh, career choice you know, the first half of my life was really concerned about politics and policy. And I, I wanted to become kind of a leader, um, a political, you know, a person working in politics. And one of the reasons why I couldn't continue with that work is because um, it th there's very little accommodation for people with uh, chronic illnesses or uh, any kind of ability differences. And um <clears throat> my health just wasn't good enough to keep up. And um, that's really sad. It's, it's uh, because, yeah, politics certainly needs uh, different perspectives in there. And the people who are the most vulnerable health-wise are going to fight the hardest for health rights. Um, so perhaps that's the reason why the U.S. hasn't, hasn't gotten its shit together with regards to healthcare. Um, not enough people with disabilities in the system. So, um, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. It, it is a sticky piece of that myth. I feel like so much of my healer process also um, is really the culmination, the alchemy of what you two have spoken to and everything that um, has brought us here in 2021. Um, I feel it's interesting because we're recording the day before the uh, full moon in Leo and Leo um, demands respect and has a performative nature and also um has this um regalness to to them that reminds me of ancestry right reminds me of the connection that I want to feel um and I think this resonance that word was the first word that came to my mind when um uh, when Rue finished the story, I was like, wow, how do I feel? I was like, I feel resonance. And then Ooh. you just spoke to it. You know, that's really that deep. And the identifying was so interesting. We actually did a a pre-call conversation about this. And something that came up was identifying and identifying with these three, um, diff the main characters being these three characters. And um, I am the sibling of Micah. Surprise, surprise. I'm the sister. And um Oh, did yeah. I not say that? Oops. <laughs> well, it was like hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Oh. But you know, Oops, you can sorry. only hint, hint, nudge, yeah. nudge on the maybe third episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what's so beautiful about that is I also have connected with that feeling of um with Arvid, but also um and the relationship to Miak. Like I very much connect with that as well. Um but also meeting that resistance of connecting to Dian Kek as the um, 
toxic masculinity character of white supremacy of this, like, I'm supreme, I'm better than you. And the resistance that I feel in my body um, being like, oh, I'm nothing like that white person, you know? And in reality, it's like, but actually I am, like, I am all of these beings. And by noticing the resistance and not wanting to become that person, um, by moving through the wound that I feel of that being and how I feel that character and archetyped as part of my deep ancestry, the only way to heal that is to forgiveness and being part of the process of healing that wound, um, to not perpetuate that process. Right. Um, and it's so interesting because to like Leo is so much of like, I'm the big personality. I'm in the front. I'm center. And I have that in me. Oh my God. I totally have that in me. My mom is a Leo. Our mom is like this big personality. And, um, I love that vibe. And also leaning into, um, that respect, right. That like that nature of respect. Um, I also want to call in um, one of my deepest teachers in that I actually um, I read this book, My Grandmother's Hands in 2020 by Resma McKennam, which is about um, healing from racialized trauma and how it's exactly how Micah spoke, where traumatized people perpetuate trauma and how do we manifest healing through that? Um just speaking very quickly to two of the those key um, magical pieces from the our ancestors, the sword and the cauldron. I think about that cauldron as the alchemy and the the source of um, how we put our medicine into this cauldron together to create this new energy, this new um, healing power. And we add these plants that are, um, sometimes bitter and cutting and deeply penetrative. And, um, yarrow is all about like, uh, especially the flower essence, but also even in the material sense, it's a styptic. So it goes deeply into wounds. You can even sew yarrow into a deep wound because it, it, um, it stops bleeding, but it's also an antimicrobial and a, a antiseptic. So it cleans the wound as well. Um, oak, which is the origin of the word druid, um, is also a styptic, also uh, antiseptic. And so I think about the sword being the cutting energy and how we utilize this cauldron to really bring about the, the alchemical work of of being the being our future generations um we want to be the wildest dreams of our ancestors we want to be working with our plant ancestors we want to be the answer and so part of that is meeting the resistance and fucking up and making mistakes and stumbling and cutting up our knees and using that yarrow and helping us heal mm. i love that thank you and one other piece that I love about the myth is that when 
when Meek dies, he goes through an initiation where he becomes the land. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I am an environmentalist and have been since I'm, I was a kid. And this spoke to me so well is that healers are also ultimately become united with nature uh, because um, true healing comes from a balance, uh, balancing and, and resonating your own body with nature as a whole, uh, because we are, we are nature. Um, I think that illness, one of the ways illness can manifest is through um, getting out of balance with nature. And um, that is, you know, both physical and mental. And so when Miak becomes the land, I see that as a, a really potent symbol that the goal of the healer is to unify themselves, mind and body and spirit with the land. Um, and that a true healer is not just a person who gives medicine. A true healer is the medicine. Um, and that we put ourselves through our own processes in order to become the medicine. Um, and that those processes, like I said, require like, uh, you know, deaths and rebirths of multiple kinds um, in order to heal those old wounds and self-judgments and worn out stories that don't work anymore and, and cling into identities that no longer serve us. Um, it's a real initiatory experience. And yeah, this has so much to say about uh, social transformation. I mean, the same thing I think has to be done is we have a lot of worn out stories, you know, colonialism and capitalism and racism and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, it, and it can be pretty pa- uh, painful to let these go. Uh, you know, even as I have experienced in my own life is even when we think conceptually, intellectually, that oh yeah, I don't like capitalism, you know, or I, you know, colonialism and racism, you know, I'm not that thing. And I hate that thing. You know, we have those kind of stored in our bodies and in ways that we are not conscious of. Um, And uh, that come out in our behavior that, that are just hard to identify, you know, because if it was easy to identify, we could just like, you know, day one, day one, make a transition, but it takes a long time. Um, And and yet again, it's pretty, it's pretty liberating. And, and another piece I wanted to say is that um, there's a really, uh, I, I love, so there's a, a aphorism that I hear a lot in contemporary activist circles called, um, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a great, like a perfect resonance with the the story of Mia and Arvid. Um, and, I, and I like that it expands upon that even more. It expands that aphorism in, just, in, a, in a really good story. And I also see that the story represents to me um, on a different layer, the tension between uh, the mainstream uh, technological medical paradigm and the paradigm of holistic healing. Um, and I feel that I, I feel that tension in my own life. I'm a clinical herbalist and um, also a person who, uh, as a sick person, I take advantage of uh, mainstream te- technological medicine, and I would be dead many times over if I hadn't done that. So I see those two paradigms as being complementary. Um, 
And yet there's undeniable political tension between those two paradigms and a lot of oppression. I mean, hundreds of years of oppression um, in terms of the herbalists and the, the folk healers, the witches who have carried on that folk healing knowledge and, and the work, the actual embodied work with plants um, tend to be, you know, that uh, modality, it tends to be more dominated by femmes and um, just another excuse to uh, oppress women. Um, I mean, there's more layers in that, but that is one layer. And um, yeah, there's that tension there, but it just, it's in an unnecessary tension because there's no reason why they have to be exclusive paradigms. They can fit together. Um, We can do it more cooperatively. And in fact, as we're moving into an age of, you know, extreme ecological crises and climate change, that medicine has to become more ecologically sustainable. Like there's no choice. Um, And the mainstream medical paradigm right now is nearly, basically extremely dependent on fossil fuels and all Chem, you know all the chemicals that go into pharmaceuticals, uh, which can be helpful, by the way. But like all of those are petrochemical dependent, as well as all the machines. And like, uh, if you've ever spent time in hospitals, as I have, um, the amount of medical waste is like unbelievable. It's like I try not to be in there too much because it can make me really angry, <laughs> really angry. But um, that just can't happen anymore. And the thing about herbalism and like other holistic modalities is that it's, it can be, and it usually is much more sustainable. Um, and we can talk about that some other episode that would be fun, but, um, that, yeah. So I see that this speaking to that tension between Dian Kecht, you know, representing to me, at least representing that kind of mainstream, uh, technological mentality. Um, and then Mia Kanarvid being the kind of, um, reconnection to the land in the healing paradigm. Yeah, I resonate with, with a lot of what you both have said so far. Um, Something that I wanted to speak to is my own passion that I know Micah and I share is um, queer myth. Um, And so finding the queerness within myths, I think is really powerful to like see myself. um, I'm non-binary and use they them pronouns and have found it really, really challenging as a queer person to relate to these uh, ancient myths that are so gendered um, and yeah most like we said mostly like these these hero journeys which are journeys that um, definitely parts of myself relate to but then other parts do not and so just to open up um, like what Kenzie was saying to see these different interacting energies um, within a story as as like microcosms of processes within ourselves and um, and to see these stories as as ways of of telling truth um, about our own processes, and um, to go back to the point around queerness, the story is very queer to me, actually, because of the 
the transmutation that occurs where um, Miach's body actually shifts form. And as a queer person, I really identify as like a shape shifter, um, one that is constantly in a process of becoming and changing um, and, and persisting uh, through transmutation, through transformation. And I think the story really beautifully speaks to that um, and, and holds up the, the beauty of, of a queer becoming, you know, this process of, of becoming. And uh, from that, from that understanding, I think it just like opens up a really different and agitating to the dominant norms um, way of being in the world where, you know, we cannot be put on a grid. We cannot be put in a category that is knowable by capitalism so that we can be, you know, marketed to. And we cannot be put in a category that fits within these dominant ways of being that, you know, on an identity level, but then also on like an economic level, political level, like all these unsustainable systems, like, like you said, they need, they need to end. And I really do see at the heart of my personal journey is, is figuring out and coming into like deeper resonance with um, great queer spirit and queerness as a way of, of being in the world um, that is outside of and divorced from these, you know, these technologies of empire and colonialism. That's so delicious. And I love it because we, you know, it, we're recording on a Wednesday. It is Mercury's Day. Uh, Gemini rising as we uh, started recording this episode. So Mercury is uh, definitely, at the very least, the patron of this episode could be the whole podcast. Um, and Mercury is queer, <laughs> you know, Mercury is non-binary. Mercury is an androgen, uh, the the lord of uh, astrology, of uh, intelligence and communication, uh, a psychopomp, all the things that, you know, is they're a complete transcender of boundaries and binaries. And uh, I have a lot of uh, admiration for Mercury and, and Hermes and also all the things that they represent. Um, and that is a, another good myth to explore if you feel called. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that uh, for me, you know, I, I like to think about history a lot and, and I really like old stuff. And so uh, queer folks, trans folks have always been here. Uh, they, since, you know, the beginning of human speciation, we have had queer folks and um, that's, there's nothing new about it. And that as we begin to dive into mythology, uh, you come up again and again with queer characters and, you know, gods and goddesses who protected trans and queer people. Um, you know, Ishtar, for instance, um, her, her uh, priests and priestesses were trans. Um, so, you know, 
uh, that is, has been really healing for me too, is that um, I'm part of a legacy of, of trans and non-binary people. Um, I'm trans, by the way. Uh, so I feel like uh, that really legitimizes my experience significantly, um, is to know that there's a long, long uh, history and legacy that I'm a part of. I I love that too because yeah I just it feels really I don't know raw and juicy and um inspiring to me to see um not just the same white woman story telling telling it I think that we have this other story and lens that um as um, queer settlers that we're trying to and intentionally embodying for this podcast. Um, so chime in for um, episode three for our queer queer themed podcast. If you want to hear more about Mercury, um, and next week we are going to be intentionally or next week being next month, um, <laughs> our next episode. <laughs> we really want to. Um, talk about what our intentions are and what what why are we centering decolonization and decolonial practices as the framework for the entirety of this podcast and how are we doing that in right relationship how are we doing that with our intentions and our impacts at the forefront of um, our language um so if you are still excited about what we're sharing um join us next moon cycle sweet well see you there <laughs> can't wait peace yeah. out yo peace out <laughs> 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 alright that was kind of lame sorry <laughs>